Mark 4. We're in verse 21 through 34 today. So, Father, in Jesus' name, as we come to your word today, we ask for a great revelation of who you are. Well, as we prayed last night, I just had a quick image of, do you remember where um, in Samuel's day when the ark was brought before Dagon, that pagan temple, and when they left the ark in, in Dagon's temple, Dagon, the, the idol just fell to his face. I just felt God saying that as we continue to lean into his presence and word, we're going to see idols fall to their face in this region. So, Lord, meet us with your presence. Reveal your glory through your word today. May we see your glory in this word. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. I've told you before, over the years, I've really loved reading the journals of missionaries and the journals of of Wesley and Charles Wesley. And uh, We talked recently about David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Native Americans in the 1700s. And David Brainerd um, had tuberculosis. He died really young. But like in the middle of the sickness, he just keeps giving himself to evangelism and to witnessing. And he sees crazy fruit um, and just wears his body to the ground um, trying to preach the gospel. Now, David Brainerd's life and diary became um, mandatory reading for many mission societies. Like they would send their missionaries out with a copy of David Brainerd's diary. Now, diaries are interesting Because it's a a recording of a man's most intimate thoughts. And you guys know this, but sometimes talking this through is helpful. Um, you can see my outer flesh in, in publics. And I'm, you guys know me. I'm really bad about, I'm quiet. Um, and you can, you can say, Oh, I know him. I've seen him before. But when you sit down and have a conversation and my thoughts begin to rise up, the, the thoughts of a man really begin to define his character. His soul, who he is. is you, could, you could see my outer and say, oh, I know what he looks like. It's, he's very attractive. Um, <laughs> my wife's like, you wish, boy. Um, but, the, but, the, but the inner, it's actually one of the reasons why Peter tells us that women should, he, he says that women should not adorn themselves with outer beauty. What he's saying is like, you shouldn't focus all women on how you look externally, but your, your internal needs to be purified and beautiful. Your heart ought to be the, the chief. Um, that, that doesn't mean that, that you can't dress nice. It just means don't dress nice and act evil, right? Like what, what's in here is what's most important. And the thoughts of a man are, are really, really interesting. Friendship. Real friendship and intimacy, it, it happens in the place of, of thoughts being vocalized and received by another individual. It's one of the reasons I believe Jesus is called the Word of God. Because Jesus expresses the most intimate places of God's character. When you see Jesus, when you've known Jesus, you have known the, the thoughts of God. His heart He's, a, he's not, Jesus, the scripture says he was a man like us. He looked, he had flesh like us. It's not like if you see Jesus as physical man, you've seen God. Um, God who's invisible, obviously he was God. But, but, but what Jesus is doing is, is not just showing us a, a, an eye image of who God is. He's showing us the, the most intricate, intimate part of God, his thoughts, his values, his convictions. Today, I, I'm, I'm trying to show you that we are reading the thoughts of God. And, and we're going to read Jesus in conversation with his disciples saying, ah, how could I describe to you the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is like this. You are reading the holy thoughts of God. 
And as you read them, God is inviting you into intimate relationship with knowing his most inner being. There's an invitation in the scriptures to really know God. And you let this sit on your desk. Or we read it so casually that we don't stop to, to really ponder. And so much of what Jesus is saying in our text today is, he says, the measure which you use, it will be measured to you. And what he's saying, and I'll show you, is he's saying the, the, the diligence, the intentionality, the, the purpose in your heart to read and to hear and to understand with that measure... With that measure, God will meet you. But if you come to your scriptures uh, with, a, with a lackadaisical heart, you're coming with a very weak measure. And some of you don't come to your scriptures but once or twice a month. And that's very a, that's a weak measure. You can say, I don't know. God's not revealing himself to me. Because God's revealing himself to us on the basis of the measure to which we use. This is an invitation to know God. You could know God. Some of us say our lives are so boring. My life's mundane. My life's empty and meaningless. I don't. Man, you could know God. If you would lean in, read, meditate, he would meet you. And when we read the diaries of men, I feel like, um, I feel like I know Brainerd better than I know many people. You read Brainerd, you can read his days and he's like, today I feel sick. I feel tired. But I'm going to get up and serve God anyway. I'm going to preach anyway. I'm going to pray for anointing anyway. And then I'll say, I preached and it was weak and seemed meaningless and I'm tired. But tomorrow I'm going to get up and go again. And so you're reading his thoughts. You're finding his motives, his values, and his intentions. And it's beautiful and helpful. But by God, when you read the scriptures, what we're told is not only are we reading the account of Jesus' word, but the scripture says we have the spirit We have the Spirit of God with us, revealing to us the mind of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 2, 11 through 12. For who knows a person's thoughts? Listen to me, who knows a person's thoughts? Except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You have God's Word recorded, and not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, who fully comprehends God, revealing to you who He is. Don't tell me your life is boring until you've given yourself to knowing God. Again, when He says to us today, Jesus will say, well, what can we compare the kingdom to? He's kind of pondering. He's expressing his thoughts. He's talking to us. This is a gift. This is holy, awesome, terrible even. The scripture says the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Today you have the voice of God full of majesty. Let's read Mark chapter 4. I'll start in verse 21. He says to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, Paying attention to what you hear, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. The measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, 
The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. He spoke the word to him as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Remember last week, he gave us the parable of the sower. And the idea in the parable of the sower was that the seed is not deficient. The reason that the seed is sometimes sown and not received has nothing to do with the seed, but has everything to do with the soil in which it lands. And he told us that what he was saying is that the seed is the word of God. And as the word of God is sown, some receive it with pure hearts. And those that receive it produce 30, 60 fold, a hundred fold return, which we said last week is like a majestic, holy, miraculous return. But he said, but some who receive the word, they receive it with selfish intention, selfish motives. The, the enemy through their own vain thoughts comes and snatches the word. And so the word we heard is powerful potent, beautiful, able to change your life. Jesus said that the issue is whether or not you're ready to receive it. So today he still has in mind this idea of parables and things being hidden. Remember he told us that he speaks in parables so that some will lean in and hear and others with hard hearts will not understand. There's a judgment in the parable. There's a judgment in the parable. He told us that his teaching is clothed in mystery. He said, those who really hear, remember that was the theme last week, hear, hear, hearing do you hear? Those that really hear will receive. But those who reject his ministry are spiritually blind and deaf. Now he, he turns and he says, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now don't run to Matthew 5. Don't, don't run to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about the light of the believer not being put under a basket. Here he's not, he's using the same imagery, but he's not making the same point. Here he's talking about his own teaching, the gospel message, his own preaching. And he's saying that this gospel of the kingdom is not going to be hidden forever. So last week he told us it's clothed in mystery. But what he's telling his disciples now is it will not be clothed in mystery forever. The mystery is being systematically revealed. He's saying it is hidden, but it is becoming more and more unhidden every day. So on one hand, the disciples are hearing, they're learning. And on the other hand, the gospel is going forth clothed in parables. But Jesus is telling them that there's a day coming when parables will not be clothing the mystery of the gospel and parables will not be the primary method, but the gospel will be declared with great clarity to all people. And what we find, if you'll think carefully, is that those disciples in that day, they don't understand the cross yet, right? They, have, they don't get it. They don't understand the resurrection. They don't understand what's mean by the baptism of the spirit of the heart. They're still, they're still grasping. 
So in their day, they had less revealed than what we have today. But even for us, there, there are some who have gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe, you know, we've lost a few over the last couple of years. They're in the presence of the Lord. They know a little more than we know, but they don't know everything. Because there's a day coming when Jesus will come with the sound of the trumpet. And the imagery is beautiful. And scholars argue till they're blue in the face because no one fully gets it. We just know the day is coming. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven on earth and under earth, and every single tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There, there's going to be another wave of mystery being revealed. But we have all we need for life and godliness in the scripture. All we need for life and godliness. This, this is sufficient for you. Now, this scripture in all of its beauty again, God does not feel the need to explain to me the intricacies of the second coming. He shows me glimpses of it. He doesn't tell me about the resurrection, how the molecules come back together to shape a human being and, and, and what kind of heavenly bodies will we have? Will we be able to float or not float? He doesn't explain all that to me. Let me tell you why. Because he doesn't think I need to know. But all that I need, I have here in the word of God. And Jesus is encouraging us to what the disciples have in their season is parables. And he's explaining to them the parables. And he's encouraging them to lean into the parables. Hear the parables well. I think he's encouraging us today to lean into the word of God. What we have, the revelation that we have. So many of us cry for dreams and visions. We want God show us mysteries. Everything you need is here. Everything you need is here. That doesn't mean that God won't speak to us about situations. That doesn't mean that God won't highlight circumstances that we need to step out in. But you do not receive doctrine and mystery in dreams and visions. You receive it in the word of God. To the disciples, he says, listen, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you use to that measure will it be given to you. And those who use that measure, who lean in, they will receive even more. But to those who have and don't use a measure, don't lean in, even what they have will be taken. That, my friends, is what I call a stinking invitation. To use the measure. Do you know who gets to pick the measure? You do. You establish the measure. That that means that you could... You can have as much of God as you want to have. You can lean in. God is promising. If you lean in to study your word, if you lean in in prayer to that measure which you desire and seek me, I will fill it up. Now, the the, the, the really kind of frustrating thing about God sometimes, he doesn't fill it up on your timeline. <laughs> I know I've tried. My God, I'll fast today. Give me visions and understanding. But, but, but maybe six months or so down the road. Are you hungry for God? He's inviting us to increase our measure as we approach the word. Increase our measure of devotion. 
Sunday mornings are about worship. We gather together, we worship, we lift our hands as an ecclesia, a church, a community of believers. It's beautiful. On Wednesday night, we gather to pray, to cry out in the presence of God. On Saturday nights, we've been gathering to pray. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Friday night and Saturday morning, man, you can know God. But if, but if your entire spiritual existence is just coming on Sundays to see what might happen, your measure is small. Think of a measuring cup. You got the teaspoon out. Some of you need to learn to get the whole tea pitcher. What's your measure like? Now, what he's not promising us, I know I'm going to be a little bit technical here, but it matters. He's not promising us a form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this idea that there are spiritual mysteries that you can gain access to. You can be elevated in your spiritual understanding. He's not saying that. He's not saying there's, there are secret spiritual mysteries that I'm going to reveal to you if you would lean in. There are obviously secret spiritual mysteries in the heavenlies. What he's saying is if you will lean in, I will, sh- I will cause you to fully understand what you have here. And it's, it's not God saying, I'm going to teach you new doctrines or new ecstatic mysteries. It's God saying, I'm going to teach you myself. He's not offering you experiences with new spiritual realities. He's offering you experiences with himself. Do you want to know him? Get your devotional life in order. Increase your measure. Then he turns and he begins to give us two parables so it's as if he says, lean into the mysteries given, lean, lean into the revelation you have, meditate upon it, chew upon it, increase your measure, and I'll meet you. And then he gives us two chances to do that. That makes sense. He's going to give us two little parables that we can lean into, that we can try to understand. The first parable is this. There's a man who sows seed. The scripture says, Jesus said, the man goes to bed, he gets up, he goes to bed, he gets up, he goes to bed, and he gets up. And he knows not how, but the seed begins to grow. The leaves break the soil, and eventually it begins to to bear fruit. And the idea here is kind of strange, because every farmer knows that you don't just sow a seed and go to sleep. Right? Farmers work. Right? They're, They're getting prepared for the harvest. They're prepping. They're, 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 they're weeding. They're, they're concerned that animals might snatch they're, they're, they're worried about insects. But Jesus says that the, 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 the kingdom man, he sows the seed and he goes to sleep. He does not fret. He's not biting his nails. He's not staying up all night toiling. He's, Jesus is saying that as the seed of the gospel is sown, there's a, there's a mystery that happens. And, and he's very much teaching us that we don't sow the seed of the gospel and then make it come to pass by the strength of our flesh. He's saying the Holy Ghost is the mystery of the seed in the soil. The Holy Ghost is making stuff happen all the time. And if you think it's your job and your responsibility to change the world, you miss it. It's your job to sow that seed and take a nap. You hear what he's saying? Sow that seed and relax and breathe. Partnering with the Holy Spirit in our evangelism is 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 the... The, the yoke that is easy. He says, so, so the man just goes to sleep and he wakes up and he goes to sleep and he wakes up and then he goes and checks and lo and behold, he has a harvest. Then he gathers it in. And I think, let me say this. Every generation, y'all just hear me. Every single generation talks about the younger generations and says, oh God. 
Oh, it was the, it was the hippies, right? There's, and, and, and then for a while it was, it, for a while there in, in the news, it was the millennials. The millennials are lazy and sloppy. And then now it's Gen Z. They don't do anything right. They just, just got their phones in their faces. There's not been a single generation that's passed in this earth that God has not got a hold of. So you can keep talking about what the enemy's doing and this generation and, and, and no, no doubt there are attributes, kind of stereotypical attributes that take place in generation, but the Holy Ghost can grip and he will grip. I can, I can, I can put you onto some millennials who will preach the gospel to their tears in your eyes. I can show you some, I, I think I told the church recently that the studies show that Gen Z, you know, the little kids in their phones that drive us all nuts, that Gen Z is more likely to share their faith than any other generation alive. What does that mean? That the little kids in their phone are doing more evangelism than all of us put together. So, so you can nitpick and go, oh, yes. or you can, or you can just keep sowing seed and breathe and go, it's not our job to cause the harvest to come to fruition. There's a mystery that's happening in the earth. Or in other words, the Holy Spirit's watering, tending soil. Do you know that, do you know that God is revealing, I know you know this, revealing himself to Muslims in dreams like constantly? Do you know how much work Christians do for that? Like none. So we, so on one hand, we need to sow seed and we need to be faithful. But on the other hand, it's like an invitation to, to have the easy, the easy yoke, the light yoke that says, we're going to get busy. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to do small groups and make disciples. And when God calls us to do evangelism, we're going to do evangelism. But we're going to not going to sit around and go, oh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The world's been going to hell in a handbasket for 2,000 years. But Jesus said, I'll build my church and hell will not prevail against it. Now, I've, I've got things to say, so... Let me say it. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't want to learn from lessons. Okay, for instance, liberal ideology and liberal theology very much led Europe to have a great decline in the church. Okay, the church in Europe is pew. That doesn't mean that there aren't European Christians. I promise you there's some hot ones. Um, but culturally, theological liberalism is death for the church. Okay, and we got mainline denominations in the States that are making the same decisions that they did in Europe. And so, um, we've watched, we're, we're watching right now the United Methodists, which has a beautiful history. Um, just pew. And there are many, many leaving denomination. They're doing new things. Um, but theological liberalism is, is, is a sacrifice. It's, it's, it's selling out. It's fully selling out. And, and so we want to learn the lessons. You don't want to be duped by that again. But on the other hand, we're just confident that God is not going to allow a generation to pass without at least having a remnant. And sometimes the remnants are the hottest ones, man. The hottest ones in prayer and in fasting. The next parable he gives us is this. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's planted in the ground. And the mustard seed, you know this, is small and seems insignificant. Um, there's, there's nothing grandiose about a mustard seed. It's not even necessarily highly sought after. But Jesus tells us that, that the mustard seed, although it can be ignored for its, for its small stature, you just give that some time. And, and he's saying, um, just slowly 
Do you, do you know that, that no, um, my wife has learned this because she thinks she's a gardener and she destroys everything. She's actually a pesticide. Her, she is pesticide. Um, um, you, you don't, you don't plant a tree and then expect it to be massive tomorrow. Right? It'll be some years, be some time. It'll have some seasons. It'll grow, have new growth. Winter comes, it'll slow down a little bit. Spring's coming, it's going to pick up again. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And many see it and go, oh, that's insignificant. That'll never be something powerful. That's weak. They see Jesus preaching to 5,000, 10,000. And they say, look, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't want anything to do with them. It's just another movement. It's just another little fad. Jesus says, there are fads. Then there are mustard seeds. And, and, and this one, it's just going to keep on growing slowly and systematically. I was sitting with my daughter who's four, almost five this week. And I was reading a, you guys know I like church history. I'm reading a church history book. And this drives me absolutely nuts about kids, my kids. I'm sure your kids do it too. But my kids want to sit and laugh and they just want to look at the pictures. And I'm trying to read. And then sometimes they want to tell me what's happening in the pictures. Like they know. But we're lick, there's a few pictures in the book and it was like, um, you know, uh, the booths who started the Salvation Army. So I'm trying to tell her about the booths. I'm like, I'm at least going to try to capitalize on this moment, right? The booths and then there were the Wesleys and then there was Whitfield and I'm telling her about Whitfield and she's just, you know, there's a nice dog in the picture. Um, but as I was sitting, I was just reminded and I, and I want you guys to hear me say this. There was a fad, maybe the last 20 years of preachers constantly saying, you have a purpose and a call and a destiny. And all of our prophetic ministry was like, you're going to be Billy Graham and you're going to be Reinhard Bunky. And you're going to be the next healing evangelist. And as I'm sitting and reading, just reading these people in history who started um, hospitals and who served orphans and just, just reading, I'm just reminded that you are actually allowed to hide yourself in the history of the church. Meaning, meaning you get to play a role and it's not all about you. There's a, there's a crazy pressure to say that you are the, you are the singular individual that's going to transform this generation. Maybe you are, but I'd bet not. Right? We've got thousands of years of just faithful saints. The tree's just growing. It's just growing. And, and you can, you can put all the pressure on yourself to be the most significant, powerful, wonderful, spiritual person. You know, you could think real highly of yourself. I think that's really garbage spirituality. Or you think you're so holy and pious and God's going to use me. Or you can just hide yourself in church history and go, man, at this point, millions and millions of people have participated in the growth of the mustard seed. And it's just slowly coming. And, and I'm going to invest in my children, invest in my church. When God tells you to do evangelism, man, get your butt up and do it. But, but the world does not revolve around you. And the kingdom is not dependent upon your gifts, strategies, or strengths. God doesn't need you. When he uses us, man, it's, it's a privilege for us. So there's an invitation in this parable to breathe again, to trust the process, show up to church, lead small groups, do evangelism, give to mission, just slowly. I, I, I think this often, um, and I'll, I'll just give it to you again. Many times the enemy comes and whispers to you, you don't do enough for God. 
What have you really done? Your life is not really that significant. And sometimes I buy that. And I sit in bed and go, oh, shoot, man, I really haven't done that much. And look at Billy Graham. I'm not done that. Um, but, but what I think is that you have a type of spiritual amnesia, and it's actually very healthy. And a type of spiritual amnesia that means this, that yesterday or this week, somebody asked you for prayer, and you prayed for them. Or somebody asked you, someone was struggling financially, and you gave a little money. Or there was a youth trip, youth going to Bolivia, so you gave some money, and you didn't think anything of it. And the enemy comes and says, you don't do anything. You don't do and And you feel like, oh, shoot, I don't. But in reality, God has seen every seed that you've sown. And God has kept record of every good deed. Not because you're going to even be judged on your good deeds. Just because he's going to reward you when it's all said and done on the basis of them. And so you could sit around and think, I don't do enough and I don't do anything. But I'm telling you, you don't even know what you do. You have no idea what you do. Just walk with the Spirit. And you may stop in the drive through line and just say to someone, God bless you. I'm praying for you today. What's your need? And, and you may think, oh, I didn't do anything. You have no idea what the Spirit did through that. And I promise you, if you didn't have the spiritual amnesia, which is, again, by the way, good for you, you, you would be mind-blown at what God has done through your simple faithfulness throughout the years. Simple faithfulness throughout the years. The kingdom is coming. We are not the end-all generation. And maybe Christ will come in our generation. But even if he does, that doesn't mean we get to all pat ourselves on the back and say, we did it. Every, everything we do is by the Spirit's power and all the success of, of, of church growth and of reaching communities, it is built upon generations and generations and generations of faithfulness. You can hide yourself in the history of the church and just hold that baton and pass it off and not have to feel like you're, you're spiritually inferior because you're not Catherine Coleman on TV. I would look incredible in that white flowing outfit. Hallelujah. I think there's a measure in this parable that's calling us to just keep your diligence about you. Just keep your steadfast faithfulness. Keep showing up. Keep giving. Keep inviting people. It's not asking you to pull your hair out and bite your nails and to measure yourself against the great spiritual giants. It's not asking you to do that. It's asking you to participate in the systematic slow, faithful coming of the kingdom of God. You guys hear me? And, and I'm younger than you guys because you're old. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm teasing. Um, but when it's all said and done, you know, one of us, we're all going to eat the dirt sooner or later. Um, some of us sooner than others, Brad. Um, ooh, ching. Yeah. I'll hear about that tomorrow. Um, when it's all said and done, man, I promise you, you be slow and steady and watch what God does through us. Just be slow and steady. Just be slow and steady. I think some of us need to stop these spiritual highs and deep lows and I read my Bible and I freak out for two weeks and then you don't read your Bible for six months. Man, get on a Bible plan. Get you a slow and steady rhythm with God. I, I pray devotionally every day. I have devotional prayer time every day. But one of the reasons why we pray on Wednesday nights and we, and we have time set aside on Saturday nights is I'm, I'm, I'm scheduling in my life the systematic intercession. Systematic. 
and, and, and I can feel pressure sometimes that I've got to pray for three hours a day. If I don't pray for three hours a day, I'm never going to be William Seymour. I'm not going to be Smith Wigglesworth. Unless I pray for 18 hours a day. I have six kids. And they're still growing. Um, I, I, I need just a systematic approach to the gospel, to the kingdom, to my spiritual life. And when it's all said and done, you will reap a harvest, Galatians says, if you don't give up. You reap a harvest. Worship team, come for me. I think, although there was a bit of a delineation in our text, certainly Jesus kind of changed his thought. But I think what we get overall is first he was telling us, lean in to my voice, lean into my word, hear my thoughts, and know me in intimacy. I think he was saying, increase your measure of diligence and devotion and want for me. And I'll meet that diligence and devotion with, with blessing. And, and knowledge of me, intimate knowledge of me. And I think the second thing he was saying is that as you grow in intimate knowledge of me, you can just spend your life not fretting like this generation's going to hell if we don't do something just perfectly, but you can just spend your life confident that the kingdom is coming as you partner with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and bringing the gospel to this generation. Just confident, just steadily Loving God and loving Jesus and loving be steadily giving of our time, steadily giving of our finances, making one disciple at a time. You can be confident that the kingdom will come through you. Again, I think that's the easy yoke. The easy yoke. The healthy life. Sometimes there's a temptation. There's a temptation in churches to feel like we've got to be the powerhouse church. Or we've got to do the most deliverances out of anybody else or we're not doing the thing. Or if we don't see as many healings as a church down the street, or if we don't have as many people signing a salvation card, then we're not the powerhouse church. I think what we ought to be after is a healthy, balanced church that walks with God in and out of season. Just in and out of season. And spiritual balance is beautiful before the eyes of God. Beautiful before the eyes of God. Now there are seasons where God pours gas on the fire. And we all get revved up. And that's cool too. Um, you don't want to see me dance, okay? Because I'm good, really. But but just slow faithfulness, man. Just slow faithfulness. Stop comparing and competing and just love Jesus today. The kingdom's coming. You can't make it come any faster. Just lean in. Just lean in. You guys hear me? Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet?